You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. I'm going to look at this subject of the, the temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought I'd just look at it in terms of five questions. First is, how was it possible for Jesus to be tempted? Why was he tempted? What were the temptations? How did Jesus overcome those temptations? And who is the tempter? So those are the five questions uh, I'm going to try and answer. I'm going to answer them one by one. I might ask them all at once then. We'll, uh, it'll be rather shorter, and we can, uh, we can go and cool off somewhere better. But, uh, uh, you, but you could tell, if you've got other questions, I am willing to stay on later uh, into the cool of the evening to, uh, to try and answer them. It is a really important subject. You know, how is it possible for the Lord Jesus Christ to be tempted? Because when we think of temptation, we think of it in a very negative way. To be tempted is to be weak. It is to be sort of inclined towards doing things which are wrong. Uh, we get cross with ourselves if, if we are being tempted in some way. And the tempter in chapter 4, he introduces the temptations in this way. If thou be the son of God, then do such and such. Uh, and that's where the problem lies, is it? How could the son of God be tempted? But to answer that, before we look at the temptations themselves, we've got to go to a commentary on the temptations in the book of Hebrews and start with Hebrews chapter 4. And it tells us something really important about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, we're told in Hebrews, is our high priest now. He died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven where he is, the high priest, uh, which allows us to pray to God in heaven as our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in regard to that office of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, or like as we are, without sin. So it's telling us quite a lot. It's in there, it's a double negative. It may be a little bit difficult sometimes to, to follow, but we do not have a high priest which cannot. So those negatives cross, cross each other out, don't they? And what it's saying is we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our infirmities. He, he can understand what we're going through when we are in difficulties because he was, in all points, tempted as we are. So the point that's being made is these temptations for Jesus were very real. They weren't just an appearance of temptation, which meant nothing to the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the Son of God. How could he be tempted? No, not only was he tempted but because he was tempted he's able to understand what it's like for us to be tempted but there's a huge difference because verse 15 says yet without sin the Lord Jesus Christ never 
ever sin. That's a startling thing to think about, isn't it? It's, it's mind-boggling. You know, he never, ever succumbed to one of those temptations. Because of that, we have this high priest who is the, uh, able to uh, mediate for us. And verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the reality of these temptations for the Lord Jesus Christ are the reason by which we can come with boldness to God to obtain help and strength when we're struggling with the weaknesses of our flesh. So, so does that mean then that the Lord Jesus Christ had the same nature as we have? And the answer is in chapter 2 of Hebrews. You can work backwards a bit, but in chapter 2, the point is being made absolutely clearly. We're told in chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ was made, in verse 9, made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. In other words, Jesus born as a son of Adam through his mother. Though he was born by the power of the Holy Spirit, working upon his mother, he was a human being which had the same mortal nature that we have. He wasn't an angel. To do battle with the powers of darkness, you might have thought, if you were an orthodox Christian, that, well, Jesus would need supernatural powers, wouldn't he, in order to wrestle with a supernatural force. And that dying, succumbing to the power of evil, would be a, a failure. But what this passage is telling us is that it had to be the case for Jesus to, to die. But why was that? Verse 14 tells us that just as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That th through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Oh, it's a deep passages, but we can all see, I think, in verse 14, this insistence that the Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> though he was the Son of God, though he was going to be the king to rule over God's creation, was of the same nature as you and I. He had to be to save us. He had to be in order to be the, the sacrifice for sin. But that's not what it's saying here in verse 14. It's not talking about a sacrifice for sin. It's a, of course, it's involved. But what it's saying is that Jesus had to destroy something. In being a human being like us, we know that means he could be tempted in all points as we are. That was essential for him to do what? Destroy the devil. Wow, that's, that's an amazing statement. Jesus was of the same human nature as us to destroy the devil. Oh, you know, what that means is profound. It means that the devil cannot be a supernatural being. 
because it is completely contrary to any sensible idea that to destroy a supernatural being, you have to be an, uh, a very natural being. How is it possible? And of course, the truth is that the devil is that way of speaking in the New Testament of the power of sin which is within that human nature. We have it, each one of us has that diabolos within ourselves. And the Lord Jesus had that in himself. He was tempted in all points as we are. But different from all of us, he never ever succumbed. Let's look a bit more closely then. Let's go to James chapter 1 verse 14. If Jesus was tempted as we are, um, then... Fair question, how are we tempted? James chapter 1 tells us how we are tempted. Verse 14 of chapter 1 of James says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, temptation comes from our own lust. Now, lust, as a word, sounds very, very negative, doesn't it? And uh, mostly it is, but it means desire. So, you know, we may have a good desire, but often we have bad desires. And that's where temptation comes from. It comes from the forces within our own nature that, that urge us to do things, usually bad things. And when we do those bad things, and it may be by thinking those bad things or doing those bad things as deeds or acts, we actually transgress God's law and sin. That's where temptation comes. Temptation, there's no mention in this passage, is there, of a, a supernatural being sitting on our shoulder and urging us to sin. There's nothing about that conventional idea of Satan or the devil. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And entice. But notice that's not the same thing as sin. Right? It's only when lust has conceived, it's only when the idea has matured to the point of action, whether it's mental or physical, does sin come into existence. The desire itself if it was sort of terminated, would not itself be sin. Which is why we can read in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So in the first temptation, Jesus was ravenously hungry. And he had the ability, because God had given him the Holy Spirit, to turn a stone into a loaf of bread. I got a stone at home. Looks like one of the loaves that Ruth cooked when, uh, when we were under lockdown. You know, it's a lovely flat stone. <laughs> but it's got this lovely brown, brown coloration. <laughs> I've used it as a visual aid in the past. <laughs> Unleavened bread, of course. <laughs> but there'd be nothing wrong. You know, you could say, oh, Jesus couldn't possibly have been hungry. Of course he could be hungry. He could be ravenously hungry. The idea that that stone looks like a loaf of bread, I could turn it into a loaf of bread, and 
That's not a sin, is it? So we're not mixing things up here. The Lord Jesus Christ could be tempted with the thought of turning a loaf of bread into sin, but to do so would to be use God's power in a wrong way, therefore it would be a sin to do it. So he didn't do it. He took that thought and said, no, no, not having that. So that's what James is saying. That's how people are tempted, says James. And the fact is, and there's a sad truth, that in our human nature, there is this, this tendency to want to please ourselves rather than God, to, to satisfy our natural feelings rather than follow the will of God. And there are several passages in Scripture that teach us about this, but Matthew chapter 15 is one, and we know it, most of us will know it quite well, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18 says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, and so on. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when the Lord Jesus says, you've heard it has been said, you shall not kill, well, I tell you, don't be angry. Because anger leads to murder. Now, anger is in the heart. And Jesus says, that's where you've got to get your answer, in the heart. Why? Because the heart is where all these evil things come from. Now, if that's what we've said is true, I believe it is Bible teaching, it means that the Lord Jesus Christ could not have been, in any sense, immaculate uh, without sin in his nature, as, uh, as Catholic teaching has, because he shared the same nature as us. And he really was tempted. So there is really something to look at in Matthew chapter 4. So next question, why was Jesus tempted? That's why we read um, part of chapter 3. The, the, the chapter division, the heading chapter 4, and it's on the next page in my Bible, so it makes us seem as if this is a separate incident, and we'll read it tomorrow, therefore we won't connect the things together. Right? The point being that when the Lord Jesus Christ was baptised and he came up out of the water, we're told in verse 16 of chapter 3 that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And oh, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Lord Jesus Christ was already pleasing his Father. He, he hadn't needed the Holy Spirit, the power of God coming upon to please his Father. He already was an obedient Son. So when we say the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned, we're not just talking about you know, during his ministry, we're talking about during his whole life, he never sinned. He was the, the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. But he's now given the Holy Spirit. He's now given the power of God to do whatever he wants, you know, without measure. And this is the answer to why Jesus was tempted at this time in this way. Because you see in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. The Mark record says Jesus was driven by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. 
Uh, if there was a supernatural devil waiting to tempt Jesus, you'd have to say that God was in collusion with the devil because it's the spirit that drives Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. It's a strange concept that people have. But of course, the Bible doesn't teach that concept. But it's the spirit that takes Jesus into the wilderness. And there, the tempter comes to him. And he has... Three challenges. Uh, the first one, of course, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The Lord Jesus Christ was hungry and he wanted to eat. Could he use the power of the Holy Spirit to satisfy his natural appetite? Well, no, God hadn't given it to him for that purpose the second temptation in verse 5 the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him if thou be the son of god cast thyself down for it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up what did jesus say it is written thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god and then the third temptation, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. Oh. Again, you know, if one takes this in the way that orthodoxy does, then the devil, the supernatural fallen angel, is going to take Jesus to the holy city. It's a strange idea that Jesus would be standing on the temple, literally, with this uh, evil angel next to him and saying go on jump off jump off the other angels the good angels will catch you if you're the son of god and uh, in in the third one the devil take them up to an exceeding high mountain you know which 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 mountain did the wicked angel take jesus yeah which from which mountain can you see all the kingdoms of the world well there isn't there's no mountain you can see all the kingdoms of the world from so in what way did he take him to this mountain? Is the mountain not literal then? It's figurative. So perhaps the devil's figurative as well then. So, you know, when, you, when people hold these orthodox views, we need to press them to explain how it helps us understand scripture. It doesn't help us understand scripture. Fundamentally, if the devil's a fallen angel who conspired to get Jesus killed, how in dying did Jesus kill the devil? It is, it's, it's a mystery. It cannot be answered. But if the devil is the power of human nature, which Jesus overcame throughout his life, and in the ultimate challenge to be crucified, allowed that nature to be nailed to the cross, to put it to death voluntarily, then you can see how in Jesus' death, the power of sin was destroyed in his own body, in the very place where the battle was taking place. Well, there is a helpful passage in regard to these three temptations. You know, why have we got these three? It's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. And this is an important passage for explaining why these three particular temptations. 
uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And it says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the, everything that is if you like, negative about human society, everything in the world is summarized in these three aspects of human desire. The lust of the, the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I think many people, most people, I think, can see how the three temptations correspond with those three aspects of human experience. The lust of the flesh, hunger. Right? The lust of the eyes. Well, which one's that then? Which one's that? Uh, it's a curious thing, but the Luke record of the three temptations, Luke chapter 4, has them in a different order. Right. Now that needs explaining, so afterwards somebody will come and explain that to me, please. But it has them in a different order. I've got an idea for you. And 1 John 2 verse 16 is the order that Luke has it. So the first is hunger in both cases, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. He has shown all the kingdoms of the world. He can see all the kingdoms and, and the glory of them. The devil says to him, you know, with the power you've got, with that Holy Spirit power, you could march on Rome yourself. You don't need anybody else. But you don't even need to march. Just take them. All the kingdoms of the world, they're yours. You wouldn't have to die. Just take those kingdoms. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ had the power to do that. But he wouldn't do that because he knew his mission was to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. He wasn't going to satisfy human desire, the lust of the eyes. And the third one, the pride of life. You're the Son of God. Jump down. Do a few somersaults. Land on your feet. The crowds will love it. There'll be rapturous applause. You've got the power. But the Lord Jesus Christ says... What are you thinking of? That's what I haven't come here to, to do some act like that. I'm not here for applause. I'm not here to win, win the, uh, you know, rave reviews. I mean, those three temptations, they're the what, yeah, we would sort of think, wouldn't we, if, if, if we had been given power? Wow, what could I do with that power? And the Lord Jesus had to face up to those temptations. And I think the Matthew record is, inverts the order of the, the, the second and third temptation. I'd like to suggest to you why. I think Matthew is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ as king, in particular, you know, there are other aspects to it, but, but, and I think those three are what a king would think in the order a king would think it. So imagine you're a prince in those days, but your father keeps you on a, a tight budget, and, and now you come to the throne. Say you're Rehoboam, right? And, and uh, all your friends your age are saying, great, now we can do what we've always wanted to do. Get the food in. Get the drink in. 
let's have a party. Right? So the lust of the flesh would be the next thing. Oh, but a king has got to be careful, hasn't he? A king has got to be, he needs bodyguards. People want his position. What you need is a, a multitude of angels camped around you to protect you. You need the, uh, the special uh, praetorian guard around you. And you've got those as the angels. But now what are you going to do? You're king, you're protected, you're secure in your kingdom. What does the king do next? Well, go out and conquer then. Expand your territory. Look at uh, President Putin. You know, go and expand your territory. Why? Well, because you can. Because you want to. And I think those temptations in Matthew are the temptations of a, a would-be king. Now, someone to say, well... Look, surely the Lord Jesus didn't have such negative thoughts as that. He, he couldn't. He, he, those thoughts become sin just by thinking about them. Well, I got a problem with that, you see, because if, if a thought, uh, which is a temptation, is a sin, then how was the Lord Jesus tempted in all points as we are yet without sin? You can't make a temptation into a sin. Now, a thought may flick through our minds... And it may not lodge there, might it? You know? Or thought may flip through our minds and we grab it. And we develop it. And we enrich it. And we colour it in. And we dwell upon it. And we dwell upon it. Now that's a different matter altogether. And if you ask me what I think, how, how did it happen in the Lord's mind? Well, I think the Lord Jesus was preparing for his ministry in the wilderness in 40 days he had the power of the holy spirit and he has now to think about what he's going to do can he use the power of the holy spirit to feed the poor to feed the hungry well he does doesn't he he, he gives them bread miraculously five loaves uh two fishes he miraculously multiplies the loaves now, he could do that for the world. There'd be nobody starving in the world, would there? He could, he could have, uh, in one miracle, fed everybody. But he didn't. Some of the people, maybe a lot of the people that he fed, followed him around. The Lord looked behind him. There's hundreds of people. You know, Where's he gone? Get in the boat. Chase after him. Why? We had a free meal. Come on. Let's have another free meal. And the Lord got away from them. He didn't want people to just want a free meal. The power of the Holy Spirit wasn't given for that purpose. It was to preach the gospel. It was to witness to the truth of what he was saying. It was to do extraordinary miracles. But these were signs and wonders. What about the uh, standing on the pinnacle of the temple? And jumping off and being protected. Why, why would that come into his mind? Well, very early in the ministry, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. And he talked to them about uh, Gentiles. And about uh, there being no widows in Israel that were going to receive this miracle. But it was going to be a Gentile widow that would receive the miracle. He says... There were a leper to be cleansed. It wasn't a Jewish leper. It was going to be a Gentile leper. And the people were so mad with him. They took him up to the top of the hill. We've been there on 
you know, the top of Nazareth, and there's a really steep precipice, right? And they wanted to throw him down. And imagine if the Lord said, okay, throw me down. I'll show you what will happen. Yeah, I'll land on my feet. Or I'll fly through the air and come back where you threw me from. So, in a way, you see, the Lord is anticipating what's going to happen. And how will he react when it happens? What will he do when people beg him for food? What will happen when they try you know, to manhandle him over the edge of a cliff? What will he do then? Well, what Jesus actually did was, we're not told how, he sort of went through them. They sort of... It must have been a miracle of some sort, but, but it just wasn't there anymore. But there was no great spectacle for them to go, oh, wow. Because the Lord didn't want that sort of spectacle. And the third one, what about the ambition to rule the world? Could the Lord Jesus have done it? Yes, he could have. He could have called on 12 legions of angels. He could have come down from the cross as his taunters asked him to. He could have swept Pilate away. He told Pilate that if his kingdom was of this world, then would his servants fight. Jesus knew the temptation would come for him to use that spirit power to smash those Roman soldiers. But he also knew it was not God's purpose that he should do that. So I think that's how these temptations came into his mind. As he's thinking over what he's going to do with this power. And of course, we're only, you know, looking into the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're we not trying to be trivial about this. But as he is preparing for the use of this spirit power, he is anticipating how. And, and the devil, if you like, the human nature is saying to him, well, you're hungry, try it. You're going to need protection. Uh, do it. That's what I think happened anyway. These three temptations, they cover the breadth of human tempting experience. How did Jesus overcome those temptations? Well, of course, each time you see it is written. Jesus says it is written. So was Jesus just saying, well, look, the Bible says I shouldn't do this, so I'm not going to do it. But why doesn't that work for us then? You know. Why did it work for the Lord Jesus, but it doesn't work for us? Because I suspect we would all admit that sometimes we do things or think things that are wrong, which we know are wrong when we're thinking them or doing them. But for the Lord Jesus Christ, it was sufficient. Well, here's a thought on this. Come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8. Because this is where the three quotations come from. The Lord Jesus took his answer to the tempter from a very narrow uh, window of scripture. The first uh, man doth not live by bread alone comes in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of Yahweh doth man live. So that's the Lord's answer. You know, you, bread's not all important. You are hungry, but don't use the power of the Spirit because the word of God is more important. That was the first answer. Let's go back to chapter 6. There are the other two answers. Verse 13 of chapter 6, it says, Thou shalt fear Yahweh thy God and serve him. So you wouldn't serve the diabolus. You don't serve your human 
nature. You don't serve your desires. You're not a slave to them. Fear God and serve him. And verse 16, you shall not tempt Yahweh your God. You don't put God in a position uh, where we are testing him out. Right? We're reversing the roles. Now, those are the three answers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think it's in the sense of, you know, there are 613 laws, and if you're asking me to break one of them, I'm not going to, right? Because I know those 613 laws. I think the context is, is more powerful than that. See, Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you look at it in, in the setting of Deuteronomy, in chapter 5, Moses, the word of God through Moses, is reminding the people that they started life at Mount Sinai, where they were constituted a nation before God, and they'd heard the voice of God speaking from heaven, and they stood there, and they trembled. And in chapter 6, and now do you remember the import of those words? And this really is what it's all about, says Moses. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God is one Yahweh, and thou shalt love Yahweh thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, that's the setting for these following chapters. What God is wanting is for Israel to keep the commandments, no doubt about that. But he's not asking them to keep them out of some uh, legalistic mindset. Oh, I know it's wrong. I mustn't do it. I'm not going to do it. What he says, yes, that, that's correct. You do know it's wrong. Don't do it. I don't want you to do it. But I want you to approach that in the spirit of Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. I want you to do it because you love me. Because you want to please me. Because you are responding to my love to you. Because you are so thrilled with the mercy I've shown you that you just want to, to walk in my ways. See, I think that's the power to overcome temptation. And the Lord Jesus Christ had a unique relationship in regard to his Father in heaven. He was the beloved Son. We're told in Isaiah 50 that, that, that God woke up his Son every morning with a word. He spoke to him in his ear. As you start to think about that, you think that that's a remarkable thing. That God brought up this little child. That God spoke to him. That he conversed with this little, little child as he grew up. And the Lord Jesus Christ loved his father to the point that he would lay down his life. He would do anything his father asked him to do. He delighted to do God's will. That's the power that Jesus had to overcome temptation. The Holy Spirit wasn't the power to overcome temptation, was it? In fact, the Holy Spirit power was the temptation that he had to go into the wilderness to sort out. It was his love for the Father, his desire to serve his Father, to honour his father, to glorify his father in every aspect of his life, in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, that gave the Lord Jesus Christ the motive and the power to overcome temptation. Of course, the word of God was there ready in his mind. He was the word made flesh. He was 
able to bring that power of the word of God to that situation and say, cut off that temptation now and replace it with positive thoughts. See, there's a real issue there for us, isn't there? You know, to sweep a house clean and not fill it with something positive means that like, we've created a vacuum which sucks in seven other evil spirits. And so there's a point for us, you know, uh, when we're thinking about our temptation, is to, to realise that what we want to do is to serve God, to please him, to respond through the love that has been shown to us, to keep those commandments, because we know the Lord wants us to keep those commandments, to honour him and to walk in his ways. And the word of God is going to be so vital to us if we don't know what's written, then we're not going to have access to this wonderful power. But the more we understand, perhaps the deeper our appreciation will become and the stronger our resolve. You know, there's a very important verse in James chapter 4 which tells us about temptation. And in James chapter 4, we have there in verse, uh, verse 7, says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Now we're told that when Jesus was in the wilderness, they did him, and then the devil departed. And that is the experience of us as well. That, you know, challenging thoughts might come in a bunch or at a certain time in our lives where perhaps our resistance is low, where we've forgotten to submit ourselves to God. But when those thoughts come into our mind, you know, there may be thoughts of anger. We may be angry with somebody. We may be hurt by somebody and offended. And we, you know, we wish them perhaps not well. Or, or, or we, we're delighting that something bad's happened to them. Germans call it schadenfreude, don't they? You know, ha, serves it right. He had it coming. He deserved that. You know, when, when human nature's got a grip on our thoughts, then we have to resist that. Would the Lord Jesus Christ have felt like that? Would he have delighted in somebody else's uh, downfall? No, he would not. Because he had positive thoughts to honour God. And so, you see, it goes in a parallel. Doesn't it? Resist the devil, draw nigh to God. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. So these episodes of temptation are just that. They are episodes. The devil came to him. Jesus was in a crisis. He resisted the devil. And for a while, he had peace, the temptations departed from him they must have recurred as i said you know there are opportunities where he could have used those powers that he had to you know do what what the public wanted but which god did not want so final question and who was the tempter well i've tried to argue through that it couldn't be a fallen angel 
that the tempter is something that was rooted within human nature. That's what Hebrews and James is telling us. That Jesus, to, be, to destroy this devil, had to be of the same flesh and blood as ourselves. You explain that to me, then, if you don't agree with me. Tell me how it's possible that there can be a, a supernatural devil, but Jesus had to be flesh and blood like us. It doesn't, you, you can't square that circle. But if the Diablos is a personification of the power of sin vested within human nature, then Jesus had that in his nature as well. But some think that the Lord Jesus couldn't be tempted in that way, except by an external tempter. The, the thought of temptation had to be put in his mind from someone else. Oh. I don't agree with that, and I try to explain to you what I think happens. I'm not saying, uh, you know, the Lord was just like us in, in the way his mind roved where it shouldn't. I'm not saying that at all. Absolutely not. But I am saying is, as the Lord Jesus was anticipating his work of ministry, then the question of how he would use these powers would come, even if it was somebody saying to him, I know they're going to ask me to make a lot of bread for them. What am I going to say? Right? I know I'm going to be put in situations where they're going to push me off a cliff. What will I do? I know I'm going to come up against the powers and authorities of Rome. I could sweep them all away. How shall I handle it? I think that's how these thoughts have come into the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord was as he was, because he was able to have such temptations without sin, he has become our high priest. And here's a wonderful encouragement for us to come to the throne of grace in prayer, to seek God's help while we are being tempted, so that we might have help and strength. I mean, that help might come from the word of God that we have read and studied and is in our minds it might come from somebody else at that key moment you know nudging us in a better direction uh, answering some of the the worries and, and the concerns that we have uh, but whatever we know that god will work in our lives if we have that love towards him that he has asked us to have Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt 
at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.